I always tell my candidates that, you know, don't think of me as your recruiter. Think of me as your friend. Welcome to the Final Round Podcast, where our mission is to help you knock out the competition and land your dream job. My name is AJ Eckstein, and I'm a recent college graduate, a strategy consultant, a five-time intern, and the founder of the career coaching company. I have a passion for helping people achieve their career goals through non-traditional career advice. Have you ever wondered why only a few people get past the final round interview and land the job offer? Join me in the ring as I speak with recruiters at top companies to learn the secrets why certain applicants get knocked out and others are still standing after the final round. The final round podcast is brought to you by Career Coaching Company. They offer one-on-one, live, tailored coaching from recent grads who work at leading companies across multiple industries, like consulting, investment banking, and much more. Now, let's jump into the ring and get you past the final round. Our guest today is from a company that pioneered the ideal corporate office. Dogs are encouraged and the food is free. Ogai Iman Zamariolai is a recruiter at Google, specifically for product management roles in areas like cloud and YouTube. Outside of recruiting, she's a career coach, investor, entrepreneur, MBA candidate, and to top it off, an aspiring real estate agent. Let's welcome Ogai. Thank you so much for um, having me, AJ. I appreciate it as well. Excited to be here. Um, I love what your focus is on, and I love how you're, you know, you want to help other individuals. So I definitely support this 100%. So I've been at Google for about a year and um, four months, I want to say. Honestly, it's amazing experience, and I feel like all the skills that I've had, um, you know, Google has really helped me polish to another level, which, you know, I'll be forever forever grateful for. As far as product managers, um, yeah, so I did start it off over at YouTube. um, And then we had a uh, reorg and then I came over to Google and then another reorg, which um, had me come over to cloud. As far as you know, a product manager goes, um, a product manager is an individual that we need And without a product manager, a lot of the things that we use on a daily basis, we wouldn't have. For example, the Google Home, right? A product manager thought of, you know, something like that, or, you know, YouTube, a feature on YouTube, even when you search something on YouTube, that's all a product manager. Um, That's all, you know, their ideas, that's all their, you know, hard work that they've put on it, um, put into it. So product managers are very, very essential to not only Google, but really the world. Um, And I think that it's an amazing um, role to be in and to grow in and to really um, change the world with. So, you know, high level product manager, you're basically managing a team that focuses on a certain product. But what does a PM do specifically at Google? And can you walk us through a day to day of what a PM does? So essentially every Every product manager at Google is going to be unique and their role is going to be unique as well and as well as their teams. Um, Not every day is going to be the same for them and every day is going to be something new, something exciting, something um, to teach or to learn, right? Um, But a day in the life of a product manager here at Google, you can expect for them to, you know, really be the CEO of whatever product they get aligned to. They are connecting with 
the um, with the legal team, with the marketing team, with the finance team. They are really driving the entire product from uh, creation to launch. Interesting. So if you are, let's say, a student in school and you've heard about, obviously you've heard about Google, but you're learning more about the different roles at Google, for instance, PM, what would you say is a good background from someone uh, to be a good fit as a PM? Is it someone with a you know, engineering or CS degree? Do you have to have coding experience? Can you walk us through some kind of qualifications and things you would need to, to be a good fit? Yeah, absolutely. So we have different programs at Google that help students. Um, and I know we have a product management MBA program as well that, you know, if anybody's interested, they can definitely go on to um, Google careers and to apply for it. And, you know, if they're interested to learn more about. But as far as like a traditional PM, um, typically they are software engineers first. And, you know, they learn um, the technology behind it and the coding behind it. But as a product manager, you're not going to be expected to code, obviously have a good understanding, right, and good communication between you and the engineer, but you're not necessarily going to be coding. If you know how to do it, obviously, the, it'll be better for you. But it's not something that is expected within the, um, within the product management role here at Google, even with your interview process, you know, you're, you're going to be having most of your interviews with a PM and you will have one with the software engineer, but it's mostly just to clarify that you guys are on the same level and you guys understand each other. So a traditional PM typically is a individual who has been a software engineer before, and then they've worked their way up to um, product manager. Sometimes I also see product marketing manager and then going to the official product management role. Um, a non-traditional PM background as well comes from a lot of consultants, comes from a lot of um, entrepreneurs, um, CEOs, individuals that have created a company, a startup themselves. Um, I, I see um, being very successful PMs as well. So just to recap, so you said a traditional PM is someone who has software engineering skills, has coding skills, probably was a software engineer in the past and will likely come from a CS or engineering background, but that non-traditional PM, I think something that's not really talked about very often is that route because you don't necessarily need to have as, as much coding experience. So for the non-traditional PM route, is that really anyone maybe from a business degree, a marketing degree, even communications that you're looking for? Um, to be honest, yes, I have seen that happen a lot. Um, and it's just a matter of what they've worked on themselves. It's not necessarily their degree, what type of degree they have, but it's more so what kind of experience they've been exposed to, right? Like, what have they worked on? You know, maybe, uh, maybe they decided to become an entrepreneur and create a startup themselves, right? As an entrepreneur, you are wearing multiple hats, and you really have to dedicate a lot of your time in not only being, you know, the CEO of your company, but um, dedicating to you know, working with the engineering team, working with the marketing team, working with the legal team, finance, all of those different teams. So um, we do see a lot of successful PMs come in as, as that background as well. So if you're a, maybe a student or someone, you know, pursuing a graduate level degree and you're thinking about, you know, pursuing a PM role and we were to speak with you, let's say on an informational call, what types of qualities would you say make a very successful PM? Because I'm assuming that since there's so many key stakeholders you're working with, one of the big things is communication, right? Because you're not actually building the product, but you're 
more so delegating the work. What are some other types of skills you look for? As in, if someone's listening right now, they can kind of check off and see if PM is for them. Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, as far as uh, PM skills, communication definitely is number one. But I think also being organized, being cautious of timelines, because, you know, there is a lot of things that they have to different, you know, features that they have to work on with their product and just being aware that, you know, timeline is definitely important. Um, understanding confidentiality, you know, there's a lot of competitors understanding that, that we are working on a product here, but understanding that there's different competitors that probably are working on the same. And it's very important to keep that confidential and understand that and why it's so important. I think one of the biggest things as well is being open-minded is very, very important here because you're going to be working on so many different products with so many different people. And it's really, you know, if you think about it, because there's so many people involved, you sometimes have to adjust yourself, right, to that person, to that individual for the product to work out. So just really understanding, understanding those qualities as well. So let's say that you feel like you could be a good candidate for a PM role, let's say at Google. And I think the Mm -hmm. next step everyone thinks about even prior to applying is starting to network and reaching out to a recruiter like yourself. So I'd love to learn more about the relationship between a candidate and a recruiter. And I think a a common misconception is that recruiters are not your friends, right? And I've spoken to a few other recruiters and we really have been talking about this because recruiters are there to help you. They're there to answer your toughest questions prior to applying, prior to interviewing. So what what has the relationship been like for you with other candidates and, and what do you want it to be like? Yeah, that's also another very good question. And every recruiter works a little bit differently. But when you're working with me, I always tell my candidates that, you know, don't think of me as your recruiter, think of me as your friend, because as much as you want this role, I also want this role for you. And I want this to happen for you. It's, it's really exciting for me that, you know, every day I get to talk to individuals that tell me they've been waiting their whole lives to work um, at Google or to even get an interview with Google, right? So for, for me, when I hear something, something like that, I honestly, I feel really honored that I'm able to help them with this process. And I'm able to, you know, really drive the process, help them with any tips, advice, anything that I can do on my end, I definitely will do. I think it's really important as a candidate to be open with your recruiter and communicate everything as clearly as possible even if you're you know interviewing elsewhere just let your recruiter know and it's it's never going to be an issue it's just a matter it's just going to help us help you if that makes sense and it's going to really have us have your back more and you know when you're going through the steps at google it's not just interview it's it's there's a lot of different steps with it and if we know things like that in the beginning we can um, possibly expedite the process for you or possibly help you connect with um, different hiring managers so you understand the role better but your recruiter at Google typically always is there for you and they're your friend and they really want that role for you as well too. And it's, it's a really exciting process when we get to send that offer a letter out and, you know, they accept it's really, really exciting. I can only imagine how exciting it is when you hear someone say that it's been my whole life's dream, my life's goal to work at Google. And then you're sending out that offer. And it's interesting how you said that you think of your candidates as friends versus this transaction that I think a lot of students do feel like, you know, they're just a number in this machine, essentially. Um, And you said to be very honest with your recruiters. 
And I'm curious to know how honest should you be as in if you're reading the job description and there is a certain bullet point that says, you know, required uh, GPA of a 3.5 and you have a 3.4, let's say, are you supposed yeah. to share your weaknesses with a recruiter or is there a fine line between being honest and then just, you know, essentially making yourself not as competitive a candidate? Yeah, I think that obviously every recruiter is differently different the way they work. But with me specifically, I don't mind at all. Like I would love for my candidate to tell me if, you know, there is a bullet point on that job description that maybe they don't match or maybe they don't, you know, they don't feel the most confident about. And, you know, by telling me I can either help them achieve that bullet point and maybe get through it right and maybe give them resources that will help them or I can find them another role that will fit them better and you know that way there is no lack of anything moving forward it's not it's not to and by saying you know be honest with me it's not to try to find you know all your weaknesses or anything like that it's really for me to understand you right and for me to really give you the resources that are going to help you move like move forward because not everybody when they go through the interview process at Google they don't typically get it the first time and it's usually like the second or maybe even the third or even the fourth right so if you if you know we're moving into the process and I'm able to help you a little bit right even just give you one resource or two it's going to help you in the long run so and obviously every candidate is different as well too right what they want to share and what they don't want to share I always do highly encourage them to just you know, try to be as honest as possible. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're all human, right? None of us are perfect. So if there's something that you feel that you lack, the only thing, only thing that we can do is try to make it better. Yeah, I think honesty is a big thing. And I remember when I was going through the recruitment process, I was very afraid to share something that maybe you wouldn't think of saying to a recruiter. But if you think of your recruiter as a friend who can help you through the process, and maybe you don't have that target GPA, but you have something else that can supplement it as in being a president of a student organization. As long as you have that conversation, maybe you can supplement that instead of just showing it as a weakness. And I, I think it's interesting how, how when I was looking at reaching out to recruiters, both as a candidate and even now just getting recruiters in the show like yourself, there are certain recruiters who are very open to people reaching out to them, right? I mean, your emails on your LinkedIn, you literally have a line that says, if students are interested in PM roles at Google, email me not only a hello, but email me your resume, right? And on the other side of the coin, there are recruiters who you can look for hours and use even different softwares and you can never find their email. They're very closed off. They don't use LinkedIn. So mm -hmm. for someone like yourself, who's very open to outreach, I can only imagine the thousands of emails you get from students with their resume attached. What are some of the types of emails that stand above the others get, you know, read first and responded to quicker versus the others that are just more of a, a bland email? Yeah, that's a very good question. Yes, obviously my inbox is always um, filled, you know, to if there was a limit, I am already past it. <laughs> but, um, but I think for me, it's not necessarily what they say, or what they attach, it's more so who reached out to me. And that's just how I am as an individual. I'm not trying to see who's better than somebody else. I just kind of go in order and whoever is first, I, you know, I'll, I'll start there and, you know, just go down the list. And if I can't reach, if I don't get to someone, I do apologize. You know, I, I do try my best. And I think that the best thing to do is just to be consistent 
I don't reply the first time, just keep, uh, keep messaging me, keep emailing me. I always, I don't like, I don't mind it. I love when somebody's very consistent and if they want something, they do anything they can to go and get it for themselves. One thing that I've learned throughout my process, not only in my career, but just in life, if you want something, if you want an opportunity, you really do have to create it for yourself just because there's there's only so much that somebody else can do for you. And if you dedicate yourself to it, and if you really want something, then you can truly make it happen for yourself. Yeah, no, I, I think students oftentimes focus so much on the email and less mm-hmm. about the uh, subject line. And the subject line is what is actually seen before the, the email body. Yeah, that's a good point. For me, honestly, if I see an email, I will open it. And if I can help that individual, I will help that individual. And if I can't, I'll also let you know that I can't um, because I don't want you, I don't want somebody to just keep waiting for me if there is somebody else that can help them, right? If there's a resource that I can give you or I can recommend somebody else that can help you, I definitely will. Um, but um, either way, I feel that I, I, I am pretty good about responding if I can help or if I cannot help um, just because I don't like that feeling of, you know, somebody waiting for me. I've, I know how that feels myself and I don't like it and I don't want anybody to really go through that, especially as students, especially, you know, in this pandemic that we are in right now if you can if you can try to help or to not help you should be as honest and as verbal as you can and I think that anybody would appreciate that no I think that's so great to hear and that's what we're trying to do with the final round podcast as well as just to help people during these very tough times and I want to shift gears going away from the application process and more into the interview process and obviously Mm -hmm. Google is one of the companies that is known to have a very unique interview process and they've been known to also ask some very strange questions. And I'm mm-hmm. curious to know in your own understanding of the interview process, are those brain teaser questions that people hear about, is that true that interviewers actually ask those really tough questions? Every role is very different and very unique here at Google. And the questions that are asked are being asked for a reason. But overall, I can tell you that you know nobody is trying to trick anybody, right? and we just want to help everybody. And if there is a question that is being asked, whether it's hypothetical, whether it's scenario-based, whatever the, the question may be, at the end of, at the, the overall goal of that question is literally to see how you think and what your thinking process is like and what steps you will take to get to your solution. And yeah, obviously the questions are not, the easiest and they're not the most fun or the most exciting, but it's really just to get you out of your comfort zone, right? And to be comfortable with talking about things that, you know, maybe you don't hear on the regular or see, or, you know, there's, I mean, there's questions that I haven't, I wouldn't even think about, right? And you sometimes you think, well, how does this relate to anything else? But it's really to see, you know, the way that you think, the way that how you would handle a situation is really important. And also, um, I think that another big thing to point out here is, for example, we are in a pandemic, right? And the only thing that's ever consistent is change. With the questions that are always being asked is, to make make sure that you're comfortable with change because it happens all the time in life and we just want to be as realistic as possible not everything will always be the same so that's also another another reason with the interview questions at google 
And I think to give the listeners some context, if they're trying to think about what is a possible brain teaser, I actually pulled some offline. Uh, and you don't have to answer these, don't worry. But just to give everyone, you know, how outlandish some of these questions could be. One of them was, if I give you $10 million right now, what would you do with it and why? Another question, how many golf balls would fit into a Boeing 747 airplane? And then the last one I thought that was super interesting was if you could only choose one song to play every time you walked into a room for the rest of your life, what would it be? So I think those three questions just show, obviously some of those are more math related. Other ones are just very open-ended. But would you say that, is there a right answer to these or is it more so how do you think and what is your logic behind your response? Yeah, there is no right answer um, to those questions. Everybody's answer is always going to be different. Um, I think it's more so how you're going to approach the situation and your reasoning behind it and any kind of data that will help support your your conclusion is the biggest thing there. Because, I mean, I, if you ask me that question or if I ask you that question, we're going to have two different answers. I want to take a quick pause and tell you about Career Coaching Company. Are you still searching for your dream internship or job, but are having trouble landing an offer? Career Coaching Company offers one-on-one -on -one live tailored coaching from recent grads who now work at top companies like the ones you're applying to. Be sure to check out their website at careercoachingcompany.com to see how their team of coaches can help you land your dream job. Now, let's jump back into the ring. You know, that's why Google is so successful because it's so diverse, you know, all kinds of different individuals coming from different backgrounds and everybody has their own idea. Everybody has their own input. Everybody has something to add value. Absolutely. I think, again, and I totally agree with you that diversity is the main reason why Google is so successful. And if you are a candidate and you have an upcoming Google interview, you're trying to prepare for these brain teaser questions. How do you mm -hmm. prepare to be comfortable being uncomfortable, essentially? Because there's, I feel like there's an unlimited, uh, infinite supply of these types of questions. So, you know, how would you go about preparing for these? Yeah, obviously your recruiter should definitely send you a lot of prep information and give you any kind of documents that will help you and just kind of example questions. And the STAR method is definitely a great approach to any of these questions. Something else that I tell my candidates all the time, and it's something that I think a lot of people really think to do or something that they're shy to do, but it's honestly to go on LinkedIn Find somebody that is in that role that you want to be in and just add them as a friend and message them. I think that is the biggest thing. It just helps you understand better and think that you will, it'll be more realistic for you when you talk to somebody that's in your, in your dream role, right? If you actually talk to them and you ask them, well, what does your day look like? What do you like to do? And, you know, usually people are so nice and they don't mind telling them how to go about it or any tips or advice that they can give. But I think that networking is definitely important, even if it's not at Google, right? Even at other um, competitors that or other companies that maybe they have that role as well too, like for example, Amazon or Apple or Facebook, you can, I can always reach out to those individuals as well and just kind of ask them and see, um, you know, what they think about it or how they would respond to it, or even ask them that question and say, how would you answer this question? And then just kind of see their thinking process, just kind of see the roadmap, just kind of see, you know, how they take the data, how they take any kind of data and, you know, use it to help them with their conclusions. 
I'm glad that you brought up that there's networking to be done even once you get the interview. I think so many people, and I remember I thought this, that the networking is basically stops once I get an email from Ogai basically saying, congrats, you got the first round. And then you, you prep for the interview and that's it, right? But I do think that it's so helpful to reach out to, let's say you're, you know, you're interviewing for a PM role and you find a PM manager in the cloud side of uh, Google, which is what you're applying to. Um, you know, reaching out to those types of people who maybe are only a few years older than you and asking them, what do I prepare for? How can I help maximize my chances? What are some possible interview questions? And I think that is the way that I've been able to be successful in a lot of interviews because they're not going to just give you the answers, but they're going to tell you what to focus on. And maybe certain groups within Google are more known to ask not just brain teasers, but ones with math. So a good piece of advice is practice your market sizing for math approaches, right? So I'm really happy that you brought that up because I think it's such a good point. Yeah. And I think that the the biggest thing here is to really understand, understand the individual that you're reaching out to is to understand how they got to their role as well too. Because if you if you always asking about their, you know, how their interview went and how they felt and what was the steps for them is really important as well because I think it helps them. It helps the candidate as well. Let's say for example you're interviewing for a specific role and it doesn't work out for whatever reason. I don't think that you should stop your networking then. I think that should just be more fuel for you to keep reaching out and to understand it and what you can do better for next time. Mm-hmm. So on on the topic of rejection, right? What should a candidate, what do you advise candidates to do after rejection? And I hate to say this to everyone, if you don't know it already, rejection is inevitable because you will likely be applying to a ton of companies and you will likely get rejected. And and it's really not about what or how you get rejected, but what you do to bounce back. So what should you do? I mean, should you ask for feedback? Should you be persistent with feedback? Do you follow up after a few weeks, few months? Typically with my candidates, I like to give them an update as soon as I get feedback. And that depends on my interviewer if product managers are so busy. So sometimes it's sooner than than expected. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer. It just really depends on that interviewer schedule. But typically in order to ensure a good candidate experience, I want to say about, you know, no later than a week to, to give feedback. And The feedback is typically, you know, just letting them know that, you know, we're not going to be moving forward at this time. But if they um, if they are open to, you know, other roles at Google, definitely take a look to let us know if they want to pursue any other openings. As far as actual feedback goes, I think that the, the biggest thing here is sometimes, you know, yourself when you're in an interview, like, you know, if it went good or not, right? Like you can feel it. So from I feel at that after when you're done with your interview, like as soon as you're done, just kind of sit down and just reflect on that interview and write down what went well and what went not so well. And just kind of understand that yourself and just kind of process that and what you would do in the future to maybe be a little bit stronger in a certain area. But rejection is just a part of life, right? And it doesn't mean that you stops there. It just means it's okay. You know, we're going to try again and it'll feel better, even better when you, when you actually make it then. And do you know when someone's reapplying, is that a factor as in, is that a good to have? Cause it shows that they are persistent and they're probably improving or is it just another application for a recruiter? Um, so Obviously, you know, reapplying is a very good idea and it's something that you, we all take into consideration, but 
the candidate should also understand that the time frame, right? So obviously don't go and apply the next day, right? Because nothing really happened significantly for us to see a change or for us to see, um, okay, this candidate, um, you know, some, they've learned something along that time frame, right? So give your space it out, give yourself some time, maybe in the current role that you are, maybe take on some more responsibilities, maybe work on a couple extra projects or whatever it is that you need to do, or you feel that you need to do to be successful moving forward. But just space it out is a very, some advice I would give is to just space it out. So you can show that within that time frame of six months, one year, you did something to improve for this next interview. And how much does confidence and self-assurance play into both yeah. the interview process? And even let's say you get rejected, how to pick yourself up, dust yourself off and keep going. Cause I know that you mentioned that, you know, morale and just your, your mental state going into the interview and even after is such a critical component of being successful. Yeah. And that's, for me, that's, that's everything. That's not just in my career or, you know, in anything else that I do, but that's really my whole life. And what I base my life around is just having that confidence and having that belief in yourself, right? Like you you genuinely really do believe in yourself and you know that you want something and you're going to go get it. And it doesn't matter if you got rejected once, twice, whatever the amount is going to be, you're going to still keep going and you're going to still keep trying. It's it's the biggest thing. And I think that also just manifesting it is a really big thing too. And just kind of telling yourself that this is going to happen and you know, it's going to happen. Almost imagining yourself in that role and kind of telling yourself like, okay, this is what I'm going to do when I'm in this role. And it really does play a really big part in your life because you, when you start to believe it, it really does start to happen. And I know that may sound not realistic, but it, it really is. It's just, it's, it's just something that I've personally experienced. I've seen, you know, family members, friends, coworkers, you know, when they've really set their mind to something, it really does happen. And, you know, regardless of the first time, second time or whatever, amount of time they have spent on it but eventually it does happen and when it does happen that's when you're gonna really really appreciate it more and love it more and take care of it even more I mean I love all those points and I think it's very similar to how a boxer you know they would go through shadow boxing and they maybe the night before they're essentially closing their eyes and envisioning exactly what the knockout punch is going to be I know Conor McGregor has essentially coined that that experience where he calls what punch he's going to knock out his opponent at. And I'd say, you know, for the interview, it's really the same thing in that you're going to just in your head, you can't guess every question, but you're going to just tell yourself, it's going to go great. I'm going to nail every question. I'm going to build that rapport. I'm going to ask insightful questions and I'm going to walk out of the interview almost more confident that I walked in feeling just so self-assured and fulfilled. And I think that people prepare for common questions. They prepare for interview questions to ask the interviewer, but very few people prepare mentally and just the confidence you need, like you said, to go in. And I think it's so, you know, it's something that really stands apart from other people. If you walk in confidently and you basically say that like a company like Google, right? Obviously a lot of people would love to work there, but if you come in saying, I'm so confident in myself that if I have Google, great, but if not, I'm still going to be successful the interviewer is going to notice that versus someone who comes in super anxious and is basically on their knees begging for a job, right? So the yeah. confidence is such a critical component. I totally agree with you on that part. Yeah. And you also have to think about it, right? It's not only 
is if Google is if you're a good fit for Google. It's also is Google a good fit for you as well, right? You have to take all of that into consideration and just really understand that and really tell yourself that. And on the topic of fit or cultural fit, right? And of course, it's it's not just you know the interviewer interviewing the candidate, but the candidate should also be interviewing the interviewer because you want it to be a good mutual fit. Obviously, yeah. Google doesn't just ask questions that are brain teasers or learning about your experience, skills, or qualifications, but they also want to see if you're a good cultural fit to Google's culture. And I know Google calls its culture Googliness, right? Which is a mashup of, of your passion and drive. Yeah. And how do you go about showing your Googliness to mm-hmm. essentially try to match what Google's culture is like? We do call it Googliness and it, everybody defines it differently and nobody's going to define it the same way. Personally, for me, it's going to be just the excitement that you have coming into your interview, but it's just your excitement, the confidence that you have, being able to adjust yourself to different people and understanding that and respecting that. And on top of, you know, everything, just your honesty is super important and your willingness to learn is, I think, is a big part of here. And sometimes just acknowledging that, yes, I don't know a certain something, but I'm willing to work on it. And I'm willing to, to do whatever I can to understand it and to be the best at it, right. But for for me, specifically, it's all of those qualities I just mentioned, but within your interview, just showing your googliness, I think is definitely by the way that you talk, the way that you talk about yourself, how confident you are in yourself, making it more as a conversation than an interview is I've seen a lot of success all the time. You're applying for that role because you are, you know, maybe you've been in that role in the past or maybe you're currently in it and you know that you can do it, right? So this conversation should not really be an interview, but it should really be just a casual conversation between you and, for example, one product manager to another product manager, right? You guys both know what you guys are talking about and you guys are just trying to see if you guys can both take your ideas and make it into one type of scenario or situation but just really making it a conversation really you know not being afraid to ask questions not being afraid to understand the role at a better level but I think that it, it's for me or, or for my experience it's really how you approach it the way you approach it and the way you the way you close it <laughs> and can you bring in some things outside of your resume because I know for you for instance and especially on your LinkedIn kind of your whole theme is that you know, Google's a huge part of your day-to-day, but there's so much more, so much more outside of your day-to-day as in, you know, you're pursuing your MBA. I saw you got your real estate license. You love spending time with family. I think you said you're an avid cyclist as well, right? So can you bring those outside external things into the interview to build more of a conversation than just your sheer experience and your resume? I think that you absolutely should. And I think that Google is a company that encourages that and they love that. And it's maybe it's one of the biggest reasons why I love Google so much is because I'm allowed to be me. Yes, I love my job. Yes, I love my coworkers. But, out, you know, everybody does have and basically an outside life outside of your job, right? Everybody has one. And the fact that, I, it, you know, Google is so willing to to be flexible in order for me to make those things happen. For example, being, uh, pursuing my MBA, right? It's something it's, I'm a full-time MBA student and I'm working full-time, but I feel that within my role right now, it is flexible enough for me to be able to, 
to pursue both and not really have any kind of conflict between the two. Um, because I never want to be in a situation where I am, you know, if I'm doing good in my job, I'm not doing good in my MBA, or if I'm not, if I'm doing good in my MBA, then I'm not doing it in my job. But I think that there's such a good flexibility line uh, between the two that, you know, it allows me to make all of those things happen that I want. And my MBA is definitely something that I've wanted for a while, but I didn't know why to get one until I started working at Google and I talked to my candidates and a lot of them were MBA candidates as well, or they've done their MBA in the past. And just by talking to them, just by understanding their experience is when I really did get my motivation and my, almost my reason to, you know, this is why you're going to get your MBA. So it definitely helped me a lot. Google, I, you know, I tell people all the time that Google really did help me get my MBA. I still am trying to figure out how you were a full-time MBA student as a full-time Google recruiter. I can only imagine how crazy busy your day is, but it was interesting you said before how you 100% advise candidates to talk about things outside your resume, especially at a company like Google that values diversity and, and, you know, creativity and thought, you know, I think that is a big mistake that people don't talk about that. They talk about just the sheer experience and it's just very, it's almost too structured and by the book. We actually posted something on LinkedIn where we asked our our followers for the podcast to post a few questions to ask. And question from Jenny Lee was, what are the most common mistakes you see candidates essentially fall into the trap when applying or interviewing at Google? So thank you to Jenny for asking that. But one of the biggest things that I've noticed is when um, I am talking to a candidate and we're getting ready to schedule their interview. Um, sometimes they're just so excited that they want to do it right away, which is not a problem at all. But I always advise, you know, maybe give your space it out for yourself a little bit, you know, give yourself at least a week or two weeks to prep to understand, you know, the role better to connect with different people. Um, Just give yourself some time to really understand the entire process before just saying that you're ready to do an interview the next day, right? That's great that some people are and I've seen people being successful that have done that as well too. But I recommend that definitely don't be afraid to tell your recruiter that, hey, you know, I do, I do want some time to prep. And it's, so encouraged. I think that, you know, everybody at Google definitely wants you to do that because, you know, we know how it is and we know how, you know, what the process is like. So if you want to take a week or two weeks and just kind of delay and take your time to prep is um, is something that I definitely recommend and I encourage you to do. Well, I even think going back to our previous, your previous point that you encourage networking even after you get the interview. Right. If you yeah. schedule the interview, if you email me today at 3 p.m. and I schedule the interview for tomorrow at 8 a.m., there's no chance I'm going to be able to talk to anyone, any Googlers about the interview process. So giving yourself a week or two week cushion allows you the opportunity to speak to other Googlers about the interview. So I think that's a, a great piece of advice for, for people out there. If you do get that interview, you know, push it back a little bit to schedule some time. And yeah. as we're wrapping up the, the show today and all our listeners know exactly where I'm heading right now. We have a tradition for the final question. So what is the best piece of advice that you can give to our audience to help them get past the final round interview and land the job offer? It's going to be your confidence. It's something that you can see. It's something that you can sense. It's, you know, really the first impression of yourself. Um, If you have that, you really can conquer whatever it is that you want to conquer. So, you know, your confidence and, you know, bring it with you all the time. 
Absolutely. And I think that's even even more prevalent today, living in a virtual world. Obviously, we're doing this interview. I wish it could be in person, but it is virtual, right? And I think that it's hard to build that rapport and show that confidence through a video or a camera screen. But yeah. you have to be even more confident because if you're not confident, then the interviewer is not going to build that relationship with you and you're not going to be able to prove to yourself why you belong at a company like Google, but not just belong, but also being able to provide value to a company like Google. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. I think we covered so many great points. You as well. Thank you so much, AJ. I especially enjoyed learning about how to best navigate Google's tough interview questions, like their brain teasers. Ogai said that there's no right answer per se, but the interviewer is testing how you act under pressure and they want to see how you think. I also wanted to take a moment to thank you all for your support. Last week, during our episode with a Tesla recruiter, we asked everyone to write reviews on Apple Podcasts, and thanks to you, we blew past our goal by almost 50%, and all of our reviews have had five-star ratings. Until the next episode of the Final Round Podcast, keep fighting, and I will see you in the ring.